<laughs> I am not sure how the YMCA made it, but I'm not mad about it. Uh, we have a few students and adults here that went this week, and we are just, we want to say thank you to those students and adults. You bring joy through your song, your gift of music, and we are so thankful for that. And especially those adults, I've been on my number of choir tours, it's a long week, uh, and so we just thank those adults and students for the way they share the love of God with the world. So will y'all help me in thanking them? Let's go to God in prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are continuing a sermon series on 2 Corinthians. If this is your first time here, it's okay. You didn't, I mean, you missed things, clearly. <laughs> Sermons are important. But you can jump right in with us today. We actually have the book of 2 Corinthians recorded too. So if you want to read along with us during this series, you are encouraged to do so. But the bottom line is that Paul cares deeply for the people at Corinth. Paul is the one who nurtured them. He's led them and teaches them throughout Paul wants this church to succeed and to truly live their lives like Jesus. I kind of love this letter to the Second Corinthians, and I also kind of hate this letter. I love that there is so much in 2 Corinthians that Paul writes that's useful and really challenging still for us today. But I kind of hate that there's so much in this letter that's just implied and suggested. Like, we don't really know what Paul's talking about. Clearly, the Corinthians do. But for us, all these years later, there seem to be some holes, some gaps. And if you're reading along, you may have experienced this feeling too. It kind of seems like Paul jumps around throughout 2 Corinthians, and he just makes these assumptions that we all know what he's talking about. So it can be hard to really dive deep. And this isn't unique to the letter of 2 Corinthians. This is one of the biggest challenges of the Bible. How do we take and learn from the Bible while still recognizing that it was written for a very specific audience and that we aren't always going to be that specific audience. For Paul's letters, this is especially true. Paul believed that the entire world would end in his lifetime. I can confidently say right here in front of you all that Paul never imagined we would be reading his letter almost 2,000 years later. And still, as followers of Christ, we believe that the Bible has a lot for each of us to learn. And this stands true of the second letter to the Corinthians. I've always been drawn to Plato. <laughs> I've shared before with you all that I'm not particularly artistic or creative, but I love the malleability of Plato, that it can shift and fit itself into any shape, and it replicates texture when you press it against certain things. 
More recently, I have found myself interested in Plato's cousin, kinetic sand. Kinetic sand is sand in the sense that it can be, it's all these different single grains, but it's unlike sand and more like Play-Doh in the sense that it can be pressed together into shapes and can take the shape of other objects like Play-Doh does. These types of molding clays have an essence. They continue to be dough or they continue to be sand regardless of their current shape. But that essence is often shifted and moved in such a way that a seemingly new thing is formed with every shape and texture it comes into contact with. Scholars of Paul write a lot about the different theological understandings that Paul has. One of these theological understandings of Paul is called cruciformity. If you find yourself interested in this particular subject, I have a lot of articles and books I'd love to refer to you. But for us today, cruciformity is the intersection of two terms. Cruciform, which means cross-shaped, and conformity, which means compliance with or likeness. So taken together, cruciform and uh, <laughs> this is so confusing. Cruciform and conformity together means to be like the cross. This doesn't mean we should all walk around like a cross, right? Instead, this understanding of cruciformity means shaping our lives in the way we act to look like the crucified Christ. The first week of our series on 2 Corinthians, we talked a lot about reconciliation. Paul needed it between himself and the Corinthians. We need reconciliation in our own lives. It's this idea that there is a need for deep renewal in our relationships and a call to draw near to what we used to be. Last week, we built on this idea by discussing what it means to be made into a new creation and how we and the Corinthians are called to be changed from the inside out by God's love. Cruciformity, our topic for today, builds upon reconciliation and being a new creation. If we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to practice a cruciform way of life, reconciliation and new life are both essential aspects of that. Today, we are diving deeper into 2 Corinthians, and we are focusing on chapters 6 and 7. Let's start this morning with 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. Since we work together with him, we are also begging you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, I listened to you at the right time, and I helped you on the day of salvation. Look, now is the right time. Look, now is the day of salvation. We don't give anyone any reason to be offended about anything so that our ministry won't be criticized. Instead, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in every way. We did this with our great endurance through problems, 
disasters, stressful situations. We went through beatings, imprisonments, riots. We experienced hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, and we displayed purity, knowledge, patience, generosity. We served with the Holy Spirit genuinely, genuine love, telling the truth in God's power. We carried the weapons of righteousness in our right hand and our left hand. We were treated with honor and dishonor and with verbal abuse and good evaluation. We were seen as both fake and real, as unknown and well-known, as dying, and look, we are alive. We were seen as punished but not killed, as growing through, going through pain but always happy, as poor but making many rich, and as having nothing but owning everything. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. Paul doesn't use that word cruciform anywhere in here, but it's believed that that's the kind of life he's talking about. Earlier this year, we talked about how Jesus redeemed the cross. The cross was the symbol of death, of destruction, of despair, and Jesus redeems it to be a sign of reconciliation and new life. We see crosses hanging everywhere as a sign of hope. We get some more of these opposing ideas in our scripture reading. Paul listed all those negative things, problems, disasters, stressful situations, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. And still, he then washes all of that away and says, but hey, here are the good things. We gain purity and knowledge. We had patience. We were generous. We showed love and truth and power to all we met. And in that la those last few verses, he juxtaposes honor and dishonor, verbal abuse and good evaluation, fake and real, dead and alive. This cruciform way of life has nothing to do with an actual visual cross, but it has everything to do with being crucified. These analogies and comparisons, they are true not just for Paul's life, but these can be said of Jesus's life too. While Jesus suffered greatly, he also lived his life full of joy and sharing God's love with everyone he came in contact with. Like Plato or kinetic sand. Sometimes we may feel like our possibilities are endless and not always in a good way. Sometimes as human beings, we can feel like a contradiction of emotions, like those negative things with those positive things. We know what it's like to be pulled in a hundred different directions. If you're a student, it can be hard to balance school life with a social life. If you're just a general human being, chances are you're in relationships with other people, familial, romantic, platonic, and in each of those relationships, 
sometimes it can be hard to be yourself. Do we stay true to our own likes or dislikes? Or are we swayed into doing what we think the other person expects of us? Even while attending church, we may often feel like we're faking it or feel like people may find out that we don't really have this whole faith thing figured out. That's sometimes the trouble with malleability in people. Often we could hide or alter our true selves to fit in with someone else's idea of who we are or society's idea of who we should be. But when we engage in this kind of life Paul is talking about, we are not called to strip ourselves of who we are, of our essence. Instead, we take all that we are. We take all of our past, all of our baggage, all of those former identities that we've played, and we point them all to Jesus. Plato and kinetic sand They keep their true essence, even when they're molded into a number of different shapes. We, too, keep ourselves while still molding ourselves to who Christ calls us to be out in the world. A people who point others to grace, who show that Jesus offers each of us new life. And it isn't about imitating Christ or trying to be something we aren't. When we embody the Christ, when we embody the cross, the crucified, we are truly our best selves. Paul continues in his letter. Let's look at chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. (laughs) Paul loves to bring up the past with the Corinthians. Here we go. Paul writes, even though my earlier letter hurt you, I don't regret it. Well, I did regret it just a bit because I see that that letter made you sad, though only for a short time. Now I'm glad, not because you were sad, but because you were made sad enough to change your hearts and lives. You felt godly sadness so that no one was harmed by us in any way. Godly sadness produces a changed heart and life that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But sorrow under the influence of the world produces death. Look at what this very experience of godly sadness has produced in you. Such enthusiasm. What a desire to clear yourself of blame. Such indignation. What fear, what purpose, such concern, what justice. In everything, You have shown yourselves to be innocent in the matter. And then we're going to jump to the last verse of this chapter. Paul writes to the Corinthians, I'm happy because I can completely depend on you. When we talk about cruciformity, when we talk about living our lives in a way that points to the crucified Christ, often that may look countercultural. We're called to place an emphasis and priority on things that others may seem, see as unimportant or as a sign of being less than or weak. 
In just a few weeks, we're going to talk about how God transforms our weaknesses. But for today, I want us to set that foundation. What are some ways Christ has brought redemption to your life? What are some times when our true selves were lifted, when people saw who we really were and Christ was glorified in that? I said earlier that living into this way of life is more than imitating Christ. It's a good start to try to be like Jesus, but we can do more. We can actually embody that way of life. It's something deep. It's something deep inside of us being genuinely transformed and made new while still bringing out the true essence of each of us. The Corinthians faced a lot of hardships. They had different people coming into their town and claiming to be apostles, tempting the Corinthians away from what Paul had taught them. They struggled with following this way of life demonstrated to them by Paul. The Corinthians did not always feel as if God was near them. They weren't that unlike the Israelites from the Old Testament who were skeptical of God's presence in their lives. Honestly, they're not much different from us today when we may have those moments where we doubt God's presence in our lives. The people at Corinth were tempted to mold their lives around worldly things, things like money and success. <laughs> we, too, are tempted to mold our lives around worldly things. Paul reminds us that the crucified Messiah, that Jesus, offers us a love bigger than the world. We each have our own essence inside of us, calling to be molded by Christ. Christ claims each of us, we are truly beloved children of our Creator. May we learn how to claim our essence, who we truly are, and mold ourselves to be more like Christ out in the world, using those gifts those talents, those blessings that we already have in our everyday life and pointing others to the cross, to a love that is offered to all people for all time. Christ calls us to claim that essence, to live our genuine selves, pointing others to the grace and love offered by God. May it be 